Hello and welcome to the American Dream Podcast, where we find people from all walks of life who show us that anything is possible as long as you set your heart and your mind to it. I'm your host, Humble, that is humble like the adjective. Today's guest is Kelly Ward. She's a registered nurse who works in a managerial role at an ER hospital. She's been doing this for decades, and the story of how she got started is pretty fascinating. Because in this world we live in where people are mistrusting healthcare workers, it's nice to hear from someone who genuinely takes pride in their work. And that's one of the goals of this podcast, is if you don't like what you're doing, I'm sorry, and I wish you could change it for the better. But this is those that love what they do and are, you know, we get to sh- uh, shine a light on them. This episode is a day late, and I apologize in advance to my listeners about the audio, uh, if there is whenever I do these interviews. Working on this is a dream and a passion project, if you will, so I don't have a fancy studio because my money's not long like that. I barely just got this microphone today, and it was super cheap, but I'm doing what I can, so again, sorry if the audio isn't up to par or whatever. Ultimately, I just hope you're able to listen to the stories for what they are, and if you like them, you can subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to. We're on Apple Music now. Yay! You can also follow us on Instagram at the American Dream underscore podcast. That's the American Dream one word underscore podcast. Anywho, here is Kelly Ward. We are live. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> I just lost the questions. Here we go. So, first, can we get your full name? My name's Kelly Ward. Mm-hmm. And your title? And I'm a registered nurse. And um, I have my graduate degree in nursing leadership. And I'm also a certified nursing executive. Jeez. <laughs> so, how do you go? So, tell talk to me a little about your childhood, like before you had all these titles. Um, so, when I was a child, I grew up taking care of my older sister. She had a lot of special needs and um, my parents were divorced. So my mom was, you know, the full-time caregiver really. Did you grow up in Houston or where'd you grow up? I grew up in a really small town south um, near the Gulf Coast called Sweeney. Sounds familiar. Very small. One stoplight when I was there. (laughs) Yeah. So you grew up there with your sister and your mom? And my brother. I had a brother as well. So my sister was the oldest, my brother was in the middle, and I was the youngest child. I'm the youngest too. <laughs> but I don't have the youngest child traditional role. Okay. So I'm not the baby um, because my sister had such special needs. And honestly, my brother was just didn't behave very well. I was always in charge. <laughs> so my mom had to go anywhere. I was always in charge of both of them. So I kind of grew up in that older sibling role um, with that mindset. So... You know, my sister was, she probably functioned like on, you know, she, she functioned like an infant. I, I can't say for sure because we never did any kind of developmental tests on her to see exactly what her brain function was. But I, I know this much, you know, she could recognize voices. She would laugh when she heard your voice, you know, touch her just like a baby and smile. Um, but she couldn't feed herself. She couldn't walk. Um, she couldn't communicate. And basically, you know, my mother took care, you know, dedicated a lot of her life to, to taking care of my sister. And um, I got to be a part of all that. So what was that like? I can't imagine that was easy. Well, to me, I mean, when I was little, it was just that was my life. You know, to me, it was that was part of my normal life. Um, 
so normal, in fact, that, you know, when my sister finally passed, I don't think me and my mom really knew what to do with our time anymore. How old were you when she passed? I was 13 when she passed, and she would have been uh, 21 years old. Damn. Yeah. And I don't want to open up old wounds, but what was that like, like just that moment? Um, it was scary. You know, I never really, you know, although my sister needed all that care, she, I didn't think she was ever really sick. Um, but in the end, as I understand, she started having some seizures. And um, one day, a family member picked me up from school and took me to the hospital. And, you know, I was like, what are you doing? And she was just like, oh, your mom told me to pick you up. And here we are walking into the hospital. I guess my family member didn't really know what to say to me. So we walk into the ER room and I see my sister there. She's on the bed. So I'm thinking, oh, she must have a seizure. You know, my mom's been telling me she's having seizures. But when I go up and start to talk to her, you know, and usually like I would go up to her, put my hand on her chest, rub her chest and talk to her. It's like, Carrie, hey, Carrie. Um, and she'll smile and respond and know that I'm there. Well, she didn't do anything. And I started to realize like she didn't feel right. She didn't look right. And so I started looking around the room and um, my mom was just crouched in the corner, devastated, and there was all these people in the room and all this action, activity, papers ruffling, like people picking up trash. And really, I just remember that moment of going, oh my God, like, Carrie's dead. And I guess I'm just figuring this out on my own. I've never seen a dead person before, but here's my sister in front of me and she's not there anymore. You know, I can tell she's not there anymore. So. There weren't any nurses, staff or anybody like just to console anyone there were a bunch of people in the room but you know one of the things that i've learned from being in that field um is that you know part of taking care of others is really taking care of everybody and that actually sometimes is the hardest thing that's the hardest part of this job because you know when you're um by the way i'm a nurse in the emergency room mm -hmm. so when the patient comes in and you know, yeah, maybe the patient doesn't make it. Maybe they're even expired before they get there and people are doing CPR on that patient. There's kind of this moment where you feel that there's no life left in that person. Um, but that's really the only connection you can make because you don't know what it, it feels like to be dead, you know? So it's hard to empathize. I mean, it's just you're task oriented, this happened. But when the family comes into the picture, I mean, everyone knows what it feels like to lose somebody. So having to face that raw emotion of, um, you know, when you're very empathetic and in a field like this, you have to face raw emotion. It's going to affect you emotionally, you know? So I think, you know, unfortunately, sometimes caregivers avoid that hard part of the job. Well, I mean, so then how long have you, I guess, been uh, a health caregiver? I guess I could say since the time I learned how to, you know, Take care of my sister i was probably four or five years old you know um but professionally i started working in a nursing home when i was in high school and then immediately after high school i started nursing school and i also became an emt so i worked on an ambulance <clears throat> and so i went to nursing school monday through friday i stayed at the uh, station for the ambulance like friday through monday morning and just did that for three years you know straight um 
and I saw a lot of interesting things. Well, it seems, you know, for to see something at such a young age, it seems, I don't know, maybe I would think it'd be traumatic, but it seems like you just dove right in. Well, to be honest with you, it, it's, I did have some um, hesitations because I've always been a very compassionate person. And I'm not just like saying normal compassionate. I'm talking about, I would cry watching a commercial, a Hallmark commercial. I could, I cry in movies. You know, if I see somebody else cry, I'm crying. Like, I just really feel other people's feelings a lot. Um, so really in the beginning, I didn't even know, am I, am I emotionally strong enough to even do this job? Um, and I specifically remember one of the first times where I actually had to face family. And what's interesting is in the ER and on the ambulance, you don't have to do it that much. It's not as intense as maybe being an ICU nurse and you're meeting that family for 20 something days and then, you know, something happens. But um, I can't remember being on the ambulance one time and we had a guy going to cardiac arrest and we loaded him up on the ambulance. And I remember it was on the street and as soon as we're shutting the doors, this lady was running down the road going, dad, dad, you know, and I was just like, oh, oh my God, it hit my heart so bad. And that was the first time I really had to feel that, that raw emotion of, you know, that family member just being in so much pain, you know, so I still remember that first moment. Um, but, you know, I learned everything with every healthcare job that I had and here I am now and I, you know, I'm a nursing leader, and so I teach other people what I've learned, and I enjoy doing that. Well, and unfortunately, the listeners can't see you, but I can tell you that I can see and you. You genuinely feel a type of way while you're telling me these stories. So, you know, what's this been like for you? Because it sounds like you've been doing this for years. What's that been like? Um, you know, I think in general, not just for me, but for nurses in general, not even just nurses, but a lot of people that serve others in, in a real time of need, it's, uh, it can really creep up on you where you get to the point where you're taking care of other people so much that you kind of neglect yourself. Um, you wear others, others feelings so much that, you know, there, I can remember times when I go home and I would just be like in so much sensory overload. I just would tell my kids, Oh my gosh, just please don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Like, you can't handle anything else. You know, for 12 hours, all I've done is touch people and they touch me and I talk to people and listen to things and alarms and, um, you need to decompress a little bit. Yeah. And, um, honestly, sometimes, you know, and that's where you hope you'll hear people talk about compassion fatigue and things like that. You know, you wouldn't have compassion fatigue if you didn't care about the thing that you were doing in the first place, you know, um, you, and it's kind of the price you pay for having a job where you care for other people that sometimes you just get to the point where you have to take a little break and learn how to take care of yourself. So how do you keep yourself motivated to just keep getting up every morning and going to work? Well, I don't see myself ever doing anything else, you know, um, just remembering the story that I told you about my sister and, you know, I might not know those people's names that were in that room, but I will remember them for the rest of my life. And I can tell you that I've done things specifically different um, because I know that people will remember me for the rest of their life in some situations. And I'll, I'll give you an example. 
we had a case where um, at one of the hospitals I worked in, this was many years ago, where um, a family came in, a couple, mom and a dad came in with their baby and um, the baby wasn't breathing when they got there. So the baby was five months old and we started CPR on the baby right away. We did CPR for probably an hour and a half, two hours. It, we knew we weren't going to get this baby back. This baby, <clears throat> you could tell, had probably been down for a while, and they found the baby in the crib that way. So, unfortunately, you know, sometimes that happens. The babies, um, you know, we still we still see crib deaths, you know. So, um, I remember the mom saying, you know, oh my gosh, my kids are at home, you know. So she has like she had three other kids, and dad went to go get them and um when they came back you know I was really like I let my nurses go do whatever you know there's another code coming in so you know they need to get off and do what they need to do but this family still needs a lot of care so um they were catholic so we called in a priest and you know um but the minute we stopped resuscitating the baby the parents were just in denial like so I've never seen denial like this and I've I've seen kids go before you know um they just couldn't believe that the baby was gone they were talking to her still they were telling her you know you'll wake up in a little while you're still um you're tired you know and you know they teach you in school that communication is really important you need to use the right words don't say somebody's passed on they're not here anymore you need to say they're dead you know and I can remember like sitting that mom down again and saying, mom, you know, she's dead. I'm sorry. Like she's, she died and she just wouldn't, she just wouldn't believe me. And so, um, they happened to be, um, their culture having to be very like family oriented and these kind of things happen. So they wanted their kids to come into the room and do prayers with the priest and also, they mentioned that their sisters know how to wake her up. And oh my gosh, like it just took me back to my past where I'm like, oh my, I cannot let these kids come in this room, see their sister dead. It would be the same thing I experienced, you know? So I, I said to the mom, you know, I don't know if it's a good idea. I want to say the kids were like, they were all under the age of 10, like 10, 8, and maybe 4. Um, I don't know if it's a good idea and she was just like insisted she insisted so I had to think about it for a minute and I'm like well you know I mean culturally that's what she wants to do I'm afraid because she doesn't think the baby's dead what is what, I mean, what happens when the kids ask what's wrong with her so I said well let me let me work on it so I have the kids in a separate room and I went you know spent a lot of time with them and, and kind of explained to them that you know their sister's not there anymore and mommy and daddy are really sad right now and they're crying a lot and that you know their sisters this is the way she's gonna look she's gonna have a tube in her mouth and you're gonna see her and she, her body's gonna be there but she's she's not there anymore she's an angel you know and i don't really know much about that religion at all but i just was trying to find some way to explain to them that you know she's safe and she's better and she's not suffering but she's not there yeah um and you know kids were drawing pictures of her and you know up in heaven you know after about 25 30 minutes I felt like I've really told them all I can really tell them you know um, to get them ready for this and so 
you know, despite how much I prepared them for the way the baby was going to look, because at this point she'd probably been gone for about four hours. Um, you know, she had, she was modeled like her, she was kind of purple and, um, cold. And, um, it was the best decision I could have made that day because when they walked into the room, the oldest daughter said, mom, what's wrong with her? And the mom like finally like looked at the baby and said, she died, she died. So, I mean, that moment actually helped the mom come to the realization that the baby passed. So. Uh, that was an extensive, I, I mean, this was hours long. I think this whole episode was about eight hours long um, because it was so difficult for that mom to let go of that baby. And at some point the baby has to go because um, pediatric deaths are always investigated. And so you get the baby to the Emmy's office. And um, I remember that day, everybody was so patient. The Emmy's office was waiting there the transport for the Emmy's office. The police were waiting there because they have to be called every time there's a death for hours while we just consoled, they prayed. And at some point we finally were able to, I finally was able to grab the baby and one of my coworkers slipped in a teddy bear for the mom to hold and made it around the corner and I just bawled, you know. This was years ago, but it's still, you're still very much affected by it the way you're saying I'm trying to keep my composure. <laughs> I am very much affected by it because there, there's everything that you do in life is for a reason. And um, I remember spending time even with the parents after they took the baby and I was trying to understand how they're going to get through this. And what kind of support do you have? Well, they weren't close to their parents. They didn't have many friends. They didn't, I don't think they really went to a church. Um, they may have gone to a church, but I don't think they had a big community support system. And so I was so worried about them. And I remember just, you know, giving them my number and saying, you know, if you need to talk to anybody, you know, it's going to be so hard for you guys not having anybody to talk to. And um, I'm really worried about you guys getting through this and being, being healthy. And um, several months later, I never thought the mom would come back to our hospital because I can just imagine what she's thinking walking into that same door that she walked into with her baby, you know, in her arms. And um, she came back and she, I was, unfortunately I wasn't there, so I didn't get to see her, but I knew exactly who she was when um, I read her note and she brought me a Christmas gift that said, you know, thank you so much. I remember you. I actually even went to the um, child's funeral. Um, on the bright side, she's with Carrie now, right? You know, Carrie's looking after her. And another bright point is about a year or two ago, she um, went back to my hospital and she saw the other nurse that was with me taking care of her during this time. And she said, oh, please tell Kelly I'm going to have a baby. Um, I hope I would love for her to be here. I hope she could be here. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there. But it just shows you like how much um, of an impact you can have on somebody's life. You know, a horrible situation. But I did the best I could to support her through it, and she came out, you know, she came out okay. But I think that compassion in the medical field is what um, doesn't dawn on a lot of people. I think some people, some folks, I, I haven't been to the hospital too many times, but at least in my own community, they're kind of just, they don't experience that kind of empathy. It's like, okay, can you leave now? We have uh, other patients. Um, so the fact that you guys took this time, I think that, you know, um, speaks volumes of the work you guys do and your dedication as a, as a 
healthcare provider. What's really sad though is, to be completely honest with you, if I hadn't been there at that moment, I don't know that the nurses would have had that much time to take because their work doesn't stop, right? Yeah. And and like I said, you know, I freed my nurses up because they still have people all around them having emergencies. And that actually also has a huge toll on the nurse when they know they just left a room with parents that just lost a child, but they have to be over here because this person's, you know, fighting for their life. And that brings a lot of guilt onto them as well. Like, I wish I could have been there more for that person. So... Yeah, there was a story we were talking about before this interview about a doctor who lost a patient because of a gall issue. Gallbladder. Gallbladder yeah. issue, yeah. And he couldn't even take care of it. It was a treatable issue, but he couldn't take care of it because there weren't any hospitals that's available. That's, you know, it's so, that's such a crazy story, but I can relate to it so much because when you work in a small hospital like that, you depend, you're basically a transfer hospital. So, a lot of times you don't have the specialty doctors there that can do surgery on patients or, you know, simple things that you can find easily here in town. And I can imagine that desperation that that doctor and those nurses were feeling trying to get that patient out. I just, it's heartbreaking. But, you know, if young Kelly was to see you, and I'm not talking like 20, I'm talking like 10 year old, eight year old you, uh, what do you think her reaction would be? I honestly don't think she would think I'm here. Like, I don't think she would see me in this role. Um, I don't think I had very much confidence when I was younger. And even, you know, all through high school and even to college, I was never like a very confident person. And so sometimes it even shocks me that, you know, I'm a confident leader (laughs) because it took me years to develop my confidence. Um, So, I don't know. I think little 10 year old Kelly would be like, what? I did that. Wow. Like, I think she would be blown away. She just wouldn't believe it. You know, what kind of advice would you give to her? The other little Kelly's out there in the world? I would just make sure that, you know, my 10 year old self, I would make sure that she knew how special she was and, you know, all of that caring that she did, you know, um, really gave her a gift and, gift that would make her very successful and happy you know in life is there anything else you want to say or add before we end this interview um i just want to you know let everybody know that you know nursing is such a hard profession and and i hate to just boil it down to nursing because so many medical professions are difficult but i think in nursing you're the closest person to the patient you know especially when you're in the hospital, throughout their hospitalization, you spend the most time with that patient, so you connect the most with them. And, you know, it's such a hard job to do. And I tell nurses this all the time, if this isn't for you, you shouldn't be here. Because this job is way too hard for anybody to do, just for money, just for, you know, oh, I didn't have any other job to pick. Like, no. I mean, most of the time when you talk to nurses, there's a reason why. there's a passionate reason behind the reason why they chose to be a nurse. Um, And and it really is. It's too hard of a job to do if you don't care a lot about it. So I just want to give props to all those nurses out there. They're working really hard right now, and um, I hope they can hang in there. Thank you so much for this. This is awesome.
Thank you again for listening to the American Dream Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you. Making this podcast is a dream that is now a reality, and I hope the stories will resonate with you and inspire you to set out your own positive goals in life. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast through whatever platform you're listening to, and follow us on Instagram at the American Dream underscore podcast, and share this with your loved ones. Until next time, folks, good night.